0: chapter two of recollections of a missionary in the great west by cyrus townsend brady this librivox recording is in the public domain i have told you about my first sermon my first baptism was in this wise during the absence of the dean on his vacation an undertaker whose acquaintance i enjoyed through my numerous funerals asked me if i would go on sunday afternoon down to the bottoms i e lowlands on the banks of the river occupied by a few squatter huts and the resort especially on sunday afternoons of men and women of the baser sort to conduct a funeral for a dead gipsy baby the gipsies were english and claimed to be members of the established church i agreed to do so of course and when i drove to the rude encampment of the swarthy nomads on sunday afternoon they were not poor and had provided carriages i was astonished to find it the centre of perhaps five hundred people an enterprising reporter had made up a story about the little dead infant which had appeared in the sunday morning paper with this result it was a very jocular and lively crowd of men and women the latter being from the worst quarters of the city there was talking laughing and singing some negroes were playing on banjos and altogether the assemblage was more like a low-class picnic than anything else the gypsies were gathered in their wagons and tents sullenly confronting the crowd under the trees in front of one tent in a little coffin lay the dead baby i slipped behind a wagon not escaping observation thereby and put on my vestments an act which excited some rude and jesting comment i then stepped to the side of the coffin faced the crowd nervously asked them to be silent and began the service which i continued to read in spite of much noise and disturbance at the usual time i made the customary announcement that the remainder of the office would be set at the graveside as i turned one of the women stopped me with the statement that they had several babies to be baptized i urged that they be brought to the church but they refused THEY WERE HERE TODAY, AND TOMORROW GONE THEY KNEW NOT WHERE. THEY EXPLAINED IT ALL IN THEIR DRAMATIC WAY, IF I WOULD BAPTIZE THE BABIES THEN ALL RIGHT, IF NOT, AND THEY CLOSED THEIR SENTENCES WITH CHARACTERISTIC SHRUGS OF THEIR SHOULDERS. I HAD MADE NO PREPARATION FOR BAPTISM, BUT I DECIDED ON MY COURSE AT ONCE. THEY BROUGHT ME AN OLD CHAIR WITHOUT A BACK, AND I PLACED UPON IT, BOTTOM UPWARD, A HORSE-BUCKET i borrowed a newspaper from one of the now deeply interested crowd and tucked it around the bucket to cover its unsightliness as much as possible on the bucket was placed an old tin pan filled with turbid water from the river the parents were to be sponsors but as none of them could read english i asked if some one would not read the responses for them and finally after much hesitation one of the hackmen and a woman of the town volunteered the poor creature came forward blushing painfully under her paint and took her place beside the hackman fortunately i had an extra prayer-book in my pocket so we began the service the negroes had stopped their banjo playing and the crowd which had swelled to about a thousand people now was very quiet and very interested the first baby brought to me was a little black-haired black-eyed swarthy infant about three weeks old when i asked the name of this child the father said major major what i asked just major he replied and so with an anxious thought toward the old church injunction that children should be named for some scriptural character whose virtues they could emulate the baby was duly christened major four others followed in quick succession when the ceremony was over i made the previous announcement again and was astonished when the mother of major said she had not been churched and would i mind doing it i suppose there are very few clergymen in the united states who have used the whole of the office for the churching of women after childbirth in public but with the assistance of the poor woman who had read the responses in the baptism and who now stood by her humble gipsy sister with her arm around her waist and with her eyes filled with tears we finished that service also is there anything more i asked yes said the mother of the dead baby coming forward with the little body which she lifted from its coffin clasped in her arms won't you baptize this one i gently told her that i could not baptize the dead that it was neither necessary nor right but she would not be convinced she begged and implored and at last fell on her knees before me and held up in front of me the still white little bundle of what had been humanity and agonizingly besought me in the terrified accents of guilt and despair to perform the to it useless service I explained to her, as well as a young man could, the situation, told her the baby was all right, and that even though she had failed in her duty, God would certainly accept her evident contrition. Friends took the baby away at last, and raised her up, and then I turned and faced the awestruck crowd again. The noise had died away, the laughter and jests were still, the rude speech was hushed. Tears were streaming down the hollow cheeks of the wretched women. I spoke to them that time out of a full heart. It was only the second time that I tried to speak without notes, and this time there was no hesitation. God helped me. They had listened to me say the Lord's prayer in silence in the service before, and when I finished my remarks, and invited them again, and knelt down in the dust, most of those near-by knelt with me and the rest bowed their heads reverently while many joined falteringly at first but more strongly as the sentences came in the prayer of our father who art in heaven they opened respectfully before us as we took the baby and walked to the carriages some of the women laid their hands gently on my surplice as with bowed head i walked past them i turned about as we drove off and saw them break up into little groups and walk quietly and thoughtfully away in different directions after such a sunday afternoon as probably many of them had never spent before after the services at the cemetery the chief of the gypsy tribe a rather distinguished-looking old man put into my hand a handful of money coins and bills i refused to take it saying we made no charge for services of that kind but he pressed it upon me with the remark that i could use it for some woman in trouble on those terms i received it that night i had a visitor it was the wretched woman who had read the responses that brief hour in which only as the voice of another she had assumed the responsibilities of a woman and a christian had recalled her to a sense of her lost innocence and purity and she had resolved by god's help to begin again it was a true baptism a regeneration indeed the gypsy's money started her upon a new way which she pursued unswervingly as long as i knew her may her feet tread the paths of righteousness until the end the service was a great strain on the nervous system of the young man but the baptism reminds me of another that i administered long after under different circumstances it was in the home of a family somewhat indifferent to religion in a very far western town i was very anxious as always to impress them with the beauty and simplicity of the service and i did my best in its rendition the person i baptized was a little boy about five years old after i had finished there was a pause which the lad broke looking up into my face and delivering this remark with a solemnity and earnestness which only added to my consternation mr brady i baptized my dog this morning to see how he'd like it i always felt that the hoped-for effect of that service was dissipated by that artless remark to go back indeed i have gone and shall go wheresoever my memory leads me without regard to chronology in these rambling reminiscences shortly after the first baptism the dean the bishop and the honorary canons went to the general convention and left me in charge of the cathedral it was a noble position and i enjoyed it extremely as each sunday came around the temptation to preach without notes would recur with added force and finally on the last sunday before they all came back i resolved to try it once more undeterred by my previous experience i fixed upon belshazzar again as a fitting subject he fascinates me Footnote. he does yet I prepared the sermon in the same manner as before, and when the eventful Sunday night came, I actually got through with it at a breakneck pace, and in a very nervous and frightened way, I admit. But I did not break down nor stop to give the bewildered people time to breathe, nor even to consider the various points of the sermon, which was doubtless an advantage for me, and for them as well the next sunday as all the clergy returned at the same time from doing everything myself i dropped to the position of a factotum whose only office was to hand the alms basin next monday i told the bishop that i would resign my position and go out and be a missionary a course which he had been urging upon me such offers were rare and he allotted me three mission stations with an alacrity only equalled by that with which i accepted the position that was the beginning of a missionary life which took me into five western states and territories and lasted many years the following sunday i began my tour of duty i preached on belshazzar in the morning at one place and made him do duty at night at another on tuesday i went to the third place and intoxicated with my previous success i used the overworked assyrian once more after the service a pleasant-looking man stepped up to me and we shook hands whereupon he said that's a very fine sermon of yours i was of course greatly pleased and expressed the hope that it had done him good yes he said it has i thought it was a fine sermon when i heard it first two sundays ago i liked it better when i heard it last sunday morning and as i happened to go to the town where you preached on sunday night i heard it there also when i made this town i am a traveling man and saw in the paper that you were to preach i thought i would come round and see if i could not meet my old friend i have liked it better each time i heard it he added with a merry twinkle in his eye won't you let me know when and where you are going to preach it again imagine my horror and shame and confusion I confessed to him, frankly, that Belshazzar was not only my best, but my only extemporaneous sermon, and we became great friends. I have hardly ever dared, however, to use that discourse sense, for something always happens when my thoughts turn on Belshazzar. Some years later, when I was rector of a beautiful parish church in a western state, I preached about him under the caption of, The Story of a Bad Boy, which he certainly was during the services we had a vivid illustration of what bad boys were for the rectory adjoining the church was robbed of everything movable and valuable except the children and on that same night during the service one of the congregation had a fit in the back of the church i wondered if by any chance it might be my travelling friend who was hearing the sermon for the fifth time and that reminds me of an afflicted woman who went for treatment to an eminent but tactless specialist who brutally told her in a moment of unworthy petulance that she had an incurable disease which would probably in the end destroy her mind she indignantly repelled his assertions and vowed that she would show him by her visits from time to time that her sanity was not impaired She was a brilliant and able woman, highly cultured, and possessed of a remarkable will-power. Her life after that was one long duel between her will and the recurring attacks of the dread disease. She visited that grim physician as long as she was able to do so, and he had the bitter satisfaction of gradually seeing the realization of his frightful prophecy. After the last attack, before her mind entirely gave way, she begged piteously to be taken to that doctor again, to let him see that she was still the master. And, when the final break came, she clung tenaciously to that dominant idea, and all her madness culminated in the expression, again and again, of that desire, until death restored the unfortunate to her reason once more as to that ruthless prophet he was deservedly held without honour in his own country among those who knew the circumstances i did not attempt sermons without notes for a long time and when i did i had many bitter experiences before i learned to keep my brain a few sentences ahead of my lips while standing on my feet i have frequently piled up possible notwithstandings i e notwithstanding this notwithstanding that and notwithstanding the other and then have forgotten just what was to happen notwithstanding other stations were added to my first mission field out on the frontiers of the diocese until i had a large amount of territory to cover i held services at one place sunday morning drove twelve miles and a half to another place for afternoon services and returned to the first place for service at night taking the other towns on week-nights in a year and nine months i never missed a service i rode or drove long distances in every conceivable sort of weather under burning suns through tropic rains in the midst of blinding dust-storms in winter's blasting cold and finally on one notable occasion in a frightful blizzard we had the usual service on sunday morning very slimly attended and after a hasty dinner i started for the south i had two rough wiry broncos, the horse par excellence for missionary work as well as a splendid subject for missionary effort a sleigh and a companion the thermometer had fallen to eighteen below zero the road lay due south down a valley through which the wind drove with terrific force a light snow was beginning to fall as we started out much against the wise counsels of everybody but i was young and foolish and did not take heed we two men tucked into the sleigh between us a little schoolmistress who had to go to the next town to see a very sick mother going down with the wind and snow on our backs was not so bad and we reached the church at the usual hour two or three men had braved the storm on the chance that i might come as i had never failed though they did not expect me and so in the intensely cold church which it was impossible to heat with all our winter wrappings on we knelt down and said the litany together then we got a bite to eat and the horses having been baited and rubbed down we started again in spite of the remonstrances of our friends it was foolish pride perhaps but i determined not to miss a single service on that day if possible facing the storm which had risen and was in the height of its fury was simply awful i was actually wearing summer underclothing at the time my missionary box from the east not yet having arrived and i thought i should die had i not been originally one of the most robust of men i hardly see how i could have survived the exposure of that day and the rest of the winter but my early training stood me in good stead my companion utterly gave way and finally sank down in the sleigh under the buffalo robes where i continuously kicked him to keep him from going to sleep i had a scarf called a nubia wrapped around my face covering it all except the leeward eye out of which i was continually obliged to brush the frozen snow my breath froze on the wool of course and i thrust my handkerchief between the scarf and my face until the handkerchief froze as well then i bethought me of a little prayer-book which i carried in the breast-pocket of my ulster i opened it in the middle and laid it across my nose under the scarf making a little penthouse through which i could breathe i tried to keep the way by watching the telegraph poles but very soon lost sight of them in the whirling storm the reins lay loose in my benumbed hands the faithful broncos, however left to their own devices toiled slowly along in the face of the mad rush of the wind and the blinding drive of the freezing snow over the prairie presently i lost all idea of the way i think i had sense enough to keep the horses heads to the storm but that was all and i was too cold and too much benumbed to remember anything all that i could think of was to keep up my rhythmical kicking of the man at my feet after a long time it seemed to me ages of such agony as i never want to endure again the horses stopped at their stable doors it was dark night by this time the stablemen were greatly surprised to see us as they never dreamed we would attempt the journey my companion was hastily taken to his house and i was assisted to my own which fortunately was not very far away Some of the vestrymen had come down to the rectory to see if I had returned, and they were waiting in great anxiety for my arrival. Before I fully realized the extent to which I was knocked out by the hardships of the day, I insisted upon taking the little handful of men over to the church. We lighted the lamps and went through the litany together again. It was foolish, of course, but somehow it is the only act of folly in my life upon which I look back with pleasure ours was the only church in town that night to have services of course the papers were full of it and the next time i had services what a congregation greeted me i was rather badly frozen up but neither my companions nor i sustained any serious injury chapter two